0: Okay guys, here's the deal. I have tried to record this intro more times than I care to admit. I have stumbled over my words. I have forgotten what I was supposed to say. I got almost all the way through it, and my cell phone rang on loud, totally distracted me, and I forgot what I was going to say. So, this one is what you're going to get. Okay? This is it. Here we go. (laughs) This is a special edition of the Catholic Man Show. Dave and I just got back from the Catholic Men's Fellowship of Phoenix Men's Conference. Uh, we want to thank Steve Pettit, Brian Lespisa, Brad Kidd, Bishop Olmsted, and their whole team for, uh, for allowing us to come out and MC the event. We had such a great time. Over 1,200 men were there. I heard over 400 confessions were heard on Saturday. That, was, that is awesome. Uh, we also had the opportunity to interview Bishop Thomas Olmstead. Now, most of you probably know Bishop Olmsted from, from his apostolic exhortation Into the Breach. Well, he just recently released a new apostolic exhortation called Complete My Joy. I've linked both of them up on these show notes. I highly recommend reading both of them. They are great. We talk about his his apostolic exhortation, Complete My Joy. We talk about his relationship with John Paul II and uh, just the family in general. So I'm really excited to share the interview with you. Now, before we before we get to the interview, I need to let you guys know that we just launched our Patreon page. You can go to patreon.com slash thecatholicmanshow. This month alone, in February, we are have, we have a lot of thank you gifts that we're giving away. Uh, Sam Guzman, the Catholic Gentleman's Quote Book, St. Cards, a Lego Catechism, uh, icons and crucifixes from Clear Creek Abbey, Catholic Man Show hats, shirts, Glencairn glasses, beer mugs. We have a lot of thank you gifts for all those who support us via Patreon. Now one thing that's different about our, our podcast compared to a lot of other great Catholic podcasts out there is that 100% of the donations that we get that support us go right back into the show. Dave and I don't keep any of the money ourselves. Uh, our goal is to continue getting this show, making the show better and better. So uh, know that 100% of your donation goes right back into the show. We want to thank all of the guys who have already supported us via Patreon. Uh, we also got had a chance to interview Sister Bethany Madonna from uh, the Sisters of Life and Father Dwight Longenecker. Those interviews are going to be available to, to our Patreon supporters, so make sure you go there, patreon.com slash Show. Now, before I mess up this in, uh, intro anymore, I'm just going to cut it off. I hope you enjoy the interview with Bishop Olmstead. <sighs> okay, I feel better. And then before we begin, we begin uh, will you
1: lead us in prayer? Sure. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to enlighten our our minds and move our hearts, that everything we say may be of service to the Kingdom of God, and may help those who listen and hear this message to have a deeper sense of being loved by you and of their plan, your plan for them in their lives. We pray through Christ our Lord name of the Father,
2: the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Your Excellency, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with us today. Um, I would like to start off asking you about your new apostolic exhortation, um, especially for people outside the diocese who might be unaware that you have written it. Uh, I I think most people probably know about Into the Breach. Um, If you wouldn't mind just giving a few comments on Complete My Joy, the name of your new exhortation.
1: Yes, Complete My Joy is, in a certain way, it follows out of uh, Into the Breach, because Into the Breach really connected with the Holy Spirit's student and a number of men, especially Catholic men who, who are open to the Holy Spirit's movement within them. And in that, one of my primary reasons for writing it was because I thought that we had a misunderstanding or even a, no appreciation for fatherhood. And as I presented that, talked about fatherhood within a a marriage and a home, and also spiritual fatherhood in the priesthood and the bishop's life and all, that we also needed to talk about marriage. And especially in light of the Supreme Court decision that really added more confusion to the popular culture, uh, made it seem as if God didn't have a plan, that we have better plans for what it means to be a man or to be a woman in marriage. So it seemed to me it was that I needed to speak to my people here. So it was written to the mothers and fathers, the wives and husbands in the Diocese of Phoenix. That's who I know. Those are the ones who are my spiritual children. I wanted to encourage them. I wanted to alert them a little bit to, to what's there. But even more than that, I really wanted them to see God's beautiful plan for marriage because they don't get that. And we sometimes get so frustrated we just end up talking about what's wrong in our society. Right. But unless we first have a deep sense of the dignity and beauty and goodness of God's plan for marriage, the other stuff doesn't make sense. And once we have that in place, we can talk about good fatherhood and good motherhood and the other ways of living a vocation that's vitally needed today, the witness
0: of, of married couples. Yes, yeah, so it's, the, it's the domestic church, right? It's, it's, it's the, the importance of, you know, as—, as Fathers were the priests of our families. Exactly. Um, How how does how do men carry out their role in being a priest of the of the domestic church?
1: I think the first thing they need to know is how to be a a beloved son, Uh, because we need to know God loves us. We need to have a deep appreciation of His fatherhood. Once we have that, once we have a deep confidence in Him. We know no matter where we go, no matter what he asks of us, no matter whatever suffering he allows, as he did of his own beloved son, Jesus, that he'll be with us. And once we have that, it opens us to hear and to trust God in our lives. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing is, is, is we have to have it. It's got to be based in a real faith and trust in God as our Father. And Jesus being our brother, our Lord, who entered into human flesh. And so he helps us understand who we are as men. Uh, And then the role of of a a man is is very much a protector, a provider, and a spiritual leader. And I think that the spiritual leader is the one that we haven't lifted up enough for men. Because, um, you know, in, in the 1900s, almost every book on parenting was written to men. In the 20th century, it's almost impossible to find a book on parenting that's written for men. Hmm. It had moved over to women. Now, there was the Industrial Revolution, which happened at the end of the 1800s. I see how that had some impact. The man went off to work, and the woman stayed at home. Yeah. Which opened the door to how you begin to, could begin to move in that way. But there's something really lost in a family if there isn't the spiritual leadership of, of the of the husband and the father mm-hmm. in the home,
2: so you hear people often talk about the vocation crisis, um, and you know usually they're talking about the lack of religious, the lack of priests. But in my mind, the real vocation crisis is the vocation of marriage. When you, ha- I mean, what if half the priests left the priesthood? I mean, that's essentially where we are in with the marriage vocation. What can we do? I mean, it's not like we can just fix this overnight. I I know that, but um, what should we, the the faithful, um, do to help help correct the the direction the ship is heading? Yeah, Yeah.
1: (laughs) right. Um, Well, I think we start with Mm ourselves. We we start with identifying ourselves by the deepest relationships in our life. So, do I love my wife? Do I appreciate her unique? person um do i love my children um so defining oneself by the by the familial relationships that's the basic thing of who we are and i think there's a lot to be learned from that. you know nick Foles, the the quarterback who was yeah. the all-star mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. for the super bowl last year if you look on his description of himself on his website he doesn't mention football he talks about being a son about being a brother, about being a father, um, about being a husband. That's how he knows himself. That's what we need to have first. Mm. We need to see that where, the, where our greatest richness lies, our greatest treasure lies, where God's plan really touches into human flesh. Um, and when, when we have those notions clear, then we have a greater confidence in God's plan being a good plan for us. Then the second thing, I think, we need to know how suffering is an open... It's a way that the the Lord opens our heart to love. And also to truths. If God sent His only Son into our world to suffer and die for us, to reveal the Father, to reveal Himself, to reveal love, then suffering has to have... There's a mystery there that's profound. And... Family life today has so many challenges. Most young people entering marriage, at least one of them has had difficult, very painful experiences because of the brokenness in family systems these days. Mm -hmm. So we have to also understand that dimension of suffering, I think. And then the other side of it is resurrection, and especially the sense that we were called to be happy with the Lord forever. So that, that eternal dimension. And that means that now we get a taste of that from time to time, especially at the Eucharist, when we're one with the heavenly banquet. Um, so those would be just some initial notions about. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Th- throughout your your writings, I can I can see how uh, Saint John Paul II has shaped the way you write. Uh, they're, they're very similar. You can see it almost interlaced in in your writing that it's like. I could I could take this sentence and ask, was this Bishop Olmstead or is this St. John Paul II? And I don't think you could tell that it, you wouldn't be able to tell me which one was which. <laughs> uh, you obviously spent a lot of time with him, and he's probably near and dear to your heart. How much does, does he play a role in, in your thought process in writing these? And, like, how much intercession do you rely on him? Um, what's your relationship with him now, I guess, is a good question.
1: Yeah, he has a deep impact in my life. When he died... I remember feeling I had lost a spiritual father. There was a real deep sense of, of emptiness for about two or three days, and then I remember moving to, but, but for him, he suffered so much in his last years. Mm. This was—he was entering his reward, and so I could move over to rejoice in that. And then immediately, you know, it was Santo Subito. <laughs> the crowds were crying. Yeah, you know, right. Make him a saint right away. And I entered into that very much, and it actually was one of the fastest canonizations ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was totally earned. I mean, fama sanctitatis, that is having a a, a fame, a a reputation for being holy, has always been the main criteria of whether somebody's a saint. And he had that. So I had the privilege of working for him um, the first uh, 10 years of his pontificate. So I was asked six months after he was elected pope, to work with in the Secretary of State. So that means I assisted him with all of his correspondence, telephone calls, translations of of homilies, um, papal documents, um, being present at times of Wednesday, Wednesday audiences and other papal audiences. So I had the privilege of working near to him, occasionally celebrating Mass with him. I was constantly inspired by him, by everything he did especially by the mystical aspect of his life. He really loved Jesus Christ. And he had a a deep kind of, um, when he went into prayer, he was just absorbed in prayer. Uh, The Swiss guards used to say when he was doing a journey in another country, they tried to keep him away from a, a tabernacle because if he was passing near one, he would go right in, and who know how long he would stay. <laughs> <laughs> Schedules got thrown off constantly, but that was a heart that was on fire in love with him, mm-hmm. and it came from the fact that he lost his own, his mother three months before his first communion. He and his father, his his brother, had died just a two year or so um, years after that. So he and his father went and prayed at a Marian shrine, and then they lived. Of life and then his dad died when he was twenty years of age, so he didn't have any family members left.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The Blessed Virgin Mary and and Jesus Christ became the his very family. center of his life, and so there was this mystical way that he connected with them. That that I think we could see the light of Christ shining through him at times, especially in his clear teaching and his courageous. Uh, when he said, "Be not
0: afraid." You actually felt you might be able to live that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's very interesting to 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 see how John Paul II is so great at being able to address the urgencies of the time and the mm-hmm. culture. Um, you know, I, that's why the theology of the body came to be because we were just so off track in mm-hmm. uh, understanding uh, what what the human body is for and, and procreation and the unity of love that man and woman share. He was able to say, okay, I, I see this and now I, I need to address it. Right. Similarly, we're in today's world. We're in the, we're in the world of, we see that there's, there's attack on, on marriage left and right, which is probably what prompted you to write your exhortation. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen a lot of, like, what was your feedback? What was the feedback so far? Because so it was released five weeks ago?
1: Yes, yes. It was released on the Feast of the Most Holy Family at the very end right. of December. It, it, the response has been really so positive. Um, and I'm really pleased about the fact that a number of married couples uh, have spoken about how it's an encouragement to them. And they plan to read it together, their husband and wife, mm-hmm. uh, some with some of their older children. Some couples planning with other couples, and then men using it themselves as well, uh, and women's groups too. So mm-hmm. I'm really pleased the way that, that responding Wonderful. to that.
2: Good. Did the theology of the body inform this apostolic exhortation of yours? Very much so. Uh,
1: by God's providence, when I actually started working for John Paul II, was the week that he first started the Wednesday the audience talks. Wow. So So that was the week you started. That was the week I started. So I started at the beginning of September and and the first Wednesday audience in September was his first one. Now it went on for five years. But one of my my goals or one of my my jobs was to read through it in Italian and then to write a resume of it in English that he could read because he would give the full text of that Wednesday audience, like a 15-minute presentation in Italian. Then he would speak about... Three minutes in French, English, Spanish, um, and polish he didn 't need a written text obviously <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so so I helped prepare those women, so I had to read them and write a resume so I mean that 's the way you learn right Right. Yeah. Uh, so from the beginning of my working there, uh, I began to see what what he was doing, although i didn 't fully understand it because he didn 't give us an outline of where he was going
2: right
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but uh, but anyway, so that was a great way for me to get a sense of of how important marriage was to him. You know, when he came to the conclave to be elected, he brought the Polish um, t- transcript of Theology of the Body, t- hoping to finish it during the conclave and then go back home and publish it. He never returned home. <laughs> <laughs> and then he took the next 11 months to rework it in Italian and to get some input from others about that reworking of it for the larger church rather than just writing for his own so like i dress my apostolic exhortations to my people in my diocese which he was going to do in
2: crockhop mm-hmm. now he had to look at a larger <laughs> right sure yeah <laughs> might might want to maybe want to take a little bit more message. time yeah. yeah so how did a man and I, I want to keep talking about St. John Paul II, but he's one of my favorites. How did a man, a celibate man, know so much about sex? You know, his
1: first assignment uh, was to university students. Mm-hmm. And he said there were three questions that most interested them. What is love? What is freedom? What is truth? Hmm. Those are, of course, really profound yeah. questions. They have philosophical and theological and existential uh, dimensions to them, but they especially have to do with being a man or a woman, Uh, understanding marriage. The full gift of yourself to another, that's freedom at its best. Mm -hmm. That's love. So freedom and love. But when you make your vows, I will be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. So what he found is they were asking questions. Some of the questions arose because you lived in communism, which was all lies,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which had no freedom, and which was the opposite of love, and tried to break up marriages. Mm-hmm. They tried to do everything so that the, so the teenagers would, have, would want to be part of the state and that the state, you know, fill their minds with their confused ideas. And that's why, for him, those young young people, that was the Holy Spirit prompting them to want to know the answer to those questions. And in doing that, he was preparing them to be really good husbands and wives. So you can see why his his way of, of being a shepherd was to spend time with those that he was called to serve. And because he's so long, he was involved with the university. In fact, he was still a university professor when he was elected pope. Really? So he kept that always that conversation going on with, with th- those groups of people. And some of the f- really good friends he made when he first started, they were still good friends when he was Pope. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And, and these were mostly lay people. Mm-hmm. So he knew that, that you know, the vocation that's really needed in communism and in, where there wasn't communism was, had to do with, with freedom, truth, love, marriage, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and how Christ is the one that informs us um, and enlightens us and inspires us to those vocations.
2: I have one more question. Okay, I do
0: too, so I have one more each.
2: What can we do uh, to inspire married couples to be more open to large families? Um, just last night, Adam and I had the opportunity. We're, you know, we're here in Phoenix. Well, a, a buddy of ours from high school, lives here, so we went out to, you know, just say hi. And I hear this so many times where people are getting married and say, yeah, I'm just two kids, just two kids, as if they've been pre-programmed that two is the correct number. And I I in no way am implying that having two kids is an unfruitful marriage. That's not at all what I'm saying. But just about this idea that before they even have one child— they're already limiting themselves to two. What can we do? I mean, it's just, and I, I told them, well, why don't you wait until you get to two children before you ha- decide whether or not to have a third? And, you know, but what can we do to get rid of this, this notion of two children, two, as if there is a correct number? You, you
1: could only understand that in faith. Society is so anti-child that you can have a governor in New York lighting up the Twin Towers in pink colors in celebration of having no protection whatsoever for children, even if they're born alive.
0: Mm.
1: So we cannot possibly understand why fruitfulness in a marriage is a really great good for a couple um, unless we we enter into faith. Uh, But once we enter into faith, we have to, as a Christian especially, we have to understand Jesus Christ. To understand him, we have to understand a full gift of himself for the sake of life. The fruitfulness of his life came from giving his life on the cross. That's true for any vocation. And if you don't desire fruitfulness, and the greatest gift that could possibly receive is a child, but a married couple cooperates with God, but God gives them the child, God gives them the soul. But they'll never understand that without faith so when we put together our marriage preparation program for the Diocese of Phoenix what we called it is God's plan for a joy filled marriage and what we felt was needed was conversion before you they could possibly understand God's plan they have to be converted and really desire to know God desire to have a relationship with Christ and then once that happens then they're open to the great plan of god for for marriage which is life giving and love giving and without those two being together it will fall apart if you if you once you cut off children the likelihood of of never getting a divorce goes it's just going to be very difficult
0: yeah Mm -hmm. um okay so on a i i'd like to ask you a more of a practical question um dave and i both have young kids we have uh, i have three and he has three and the men who are listening to this, they are typically in the same boat. I want to know practically how I can live liturgically in my house. Like, what advice would you give me? Because, you know, it's one thing to take your, your children to Mass, to make sure that they see you going to confession, to making sure that they see you loving your wife. Uh, how do I bring the, the liturgy into my home?
1: That's an excellent question. Because we need a liturgy in the home with a small L, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just like we need the liturgy in the church with a large L and with real desire to have beautiful liturgy in both places. But in the home, uh, it needs to be uh, where you you work to have uh, your own relationship with Christ um, and with with your wife um, or your husband for women. It, It needs to be one in which God is just part of that. It's just just always part of that. So you're always praying for one another. You're praying together. Uh, It's just natural to do that. I always say that my family, praying was like breathing. You couldn't live without praying, and you knew that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think trying to create a home in where prayer was natural. So uh, especially having a a regularity about praying before you begin a meal together, have as many meals together as possible. You know, it's not only... Family that prays together that stays together, it's the family that eats together that stays together as well. So, you, you frame that with prayer. And then, praying in the evening is really, really important in a family. Um, it, there's something about kneeling down in front, in our case, in front of the dresser in my parents' bedroom with a Sacred Heart and a Immaculate Heart. So, so some image is there, and a candle I think is really important. We always have candles on an altar in the church, mm-hmm. it helps you know, a sense of mystery. But whatever happens in life, if you've knelt down, if you've seen your mom and dad and your brothers kneeling down, you're going to, when, you, when something difficult happens, when some questions come, you're going to know you're, you're going to need to kneel down. And, and so it, it it just becomes part of life, of course. And who's the first one you turn to? You turn to God, and then you turn to the other members of the family. So, yeah, making the home a, a, a domestic church with, with sacred art and with prayer um and obviously we love for one another is it's a great blessing for every member of that home
0: well uh, speaking of great blessings it's a joy to talk to you um, we're very, Dave and I both um, are big fans of, of your writing of, of, of your leadership in, in the diocese um, I, I'm just so grateful I, I mm, get so yeah. excited just to be able to have the opportunity to talk to you yeah, so
2: you truly are a light in a crazy world and so th- for myself and for I know the thousands of people who agree with me. I want to just say thank you. Thank you, thank you, David and Adam. Got so much fun. Time. Thank you.